Listening is definitely the most underutilized feature across all of these platforms. So these platforms give us the ability to have real-time two-way conversations and to get feedback on our content, on our stories, on our fundraising campaigns, on whatever we're sharing, whether it be an email, whether it be, like you said, a TikTok post or an Instagram post or Facebook, they give us the ability to really see what's resonating and what's working in real time. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Julia Campbell. Julia is a sought-after speaker and just all-around nonprofit fundraising pro who focuses on helping nonprofits navigate their communication strategy, but specifically in new media like social media and email, and help you really create compelling narratives and campaigns that connect with your donors. Julia is a great friend and a wealth of knowledge. And during our conversation, we talk about a variety of issues, but specifically focus in on the topic of Julia's new book, which is social media, how you should respond, how you should change, and how you can leverage this new media to really connect with your donors in an authentic and compelling way that ultimately leads you to make a larger impact in our world. It's a great conversation. Julia is an excellent source of insight, so let's dive in. Hey, Julia. Hey, Noah. How are you? I'm awesome. It's been too long. Way too long. Way too long. Time just is flying, and I, I know, know that's such a cliche, the but it really is. Yeah, and then the holidays yeah. and year end and. You know, you're famous now, so we can't really. No, <laughs> I wouldn't say famous. I definitely have more demands on my time. Yeah, but which isn't a bad thing. No. And every time I say that I'm busy, my husband says, well, maybe you should talk to your boss. And I always Oof. say, that's funny because I am my boss, my own boss. So <laughs> works out that way. Absolutely. And, you know, Julia, we obviously met uh, when I was working at another company, but mm-hmm. just talking about social media, we've even done like debates on the value of Facebook fundraising and all of yes. that. And so you're always I still my, do those daily. <laughs> those are so fun. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was a good time because there is a lot of, you know, questions from fundraisers about like, how do you actually leverage these new platforms? How do you adapt to the changes? You know, what should we do? What should we ignore? And how do we move forward? And you're always yes. the go-to person for that. So I'm, I'm always grateful to have conversations with you. And I'm, I'm thankful to have you on today's episode. Thank you. And so before we dive in too far, though, I know you well, but I want our audience and our listeners to know you better. So talk a little bit more about, you know, how you got into fundraising. Why do you focus on social media? And just share about what the work that you've done with so many great nonprofits over the years. Sure. I mean, I got my degree in the late nineties. I can't even believe how long ago that was, but my degree was in magazine journalism. It still is in magazine journalism. And I was always fascinated with storytelling and getting to the heart of the matter. And I was also always an activist. So I believed very strongly, and I still do, in my core 
values, my ethics, and the causes that I wanted to support. It was one of the original social justice warriors, and I don't think that's a pejorative term. And I joined the Peace Corps right out of college. And that's really where I started to experience what it was like to work with NGOs. So the Peace Corps is a uh, State Department organization. We're a government organization. But we work and partner with a lot of nonprofits and NGOs in the field. And this is before any kind of online fundraising, any kind of online fundraising platforms were really around. This was probably 2001. So... I would have to email and write letters back home and say, can everyone send me $10, $25 so that we could build this well or so that we could repaint the school or so we could do the specific project. And it really resonated with me because people absolutely loved it. So not only did we get the projects finished and changed lives for the better, I was in West Africa in Senegal, but the people that gave money were so excited to see their donations come to life. And they were so excited to feel this connection to another part of the world and to really feel like they had created a meaningful life for themselves. And I think that that's really the entire point of fundraising, even beyond all the technology and all the tools that we have today. So that's really where my love for it started. And then when I came home, I got more formal jobs, director of development jobs, director of marketing jobs. I've worked in higher ed. I've worked in very small community-based organizations. And I started off on my own 10 years ago. So this is my 10th year in business. Congratulations. Thank (laughs) you. I know. I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I was laid off from my job. I was actually eight months pregnant with my first child. So that's another whole story for another day and time. But it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. And I know a lot of self-employed people say that, but it really worked out for me. So I took my love of storytelling, my love of fundraising, and my love of social media. I just love social media, I think, because I am a cancer. So I'm a cancerian. My birthday is July 9. I believe in astrology. That's for, I believe in science, but I also believe in astrology. So a bundle of contradictions there, but Cancerians constantly strive That's for, a different for approval. Podcast too. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So they they always want approval. Like we're always looking for approval in little ways. Social media is perfect for that. What better way? You get likes, you get comments, you get shares. Um, it's a really great way to see your ideas and see if they're resonating with people. And I I just really loved the platforms. This is way in the beginning. I have some different opinions now because it's changed so much. But I really see the potential and I saw the potential when I started my business for nonprofits especially to really connect with their donors and with their supporters and truly explain what they were doing, showcase the human side of the organization and really tell those impact stories in real time. So that's what I built my business around is is showing nonprofits how to do that in a strategic way. And you've done an incredible job at not only just helping your clients, but helping to distill that for so many others through the variety of ways that you share information. And so that's, we're excited to kind of glean some of those like practical insights, because I think you hit on a few things like the complexity Mm -hmm. of social media, digital communication is, is, is kind of overwhelming. In addition to the changing environment that we're living, that's kind of hyper-connected, fast-paced, 
But yep. the opportunity is huge. And exactly. we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But what I loved about your story and I've always loved is just kind of the, the various collision points along your course that kind of has like chipped away and um, shaped you into, like you mentioned, being an advocate and being a supporter mm-hmm. or kind of an ambassador for causes that you care so much about. Mm-hmm. And I'm always fascinated to hear like, what was the first charity that you remember resonating with? Because obviously this is something that's been kind of a lifelong journey, but like, was there a charity back in the day that kind of like just sparked your interest? There were so many. I, I've been thinking about this and I would say the very first charity that I worked with hands on, I was a senior in high school and my mother brought me to this organization called Rosie's Place in Boston. And I still support them today. They're still one of my absolute favorite organizations. They serve uh, poor and homeless women in the Boston area. No questions asked. They give them counseling, job training, food, a place to stay, whatever they need. They don't take any government money. They rely on individual donations. They stand by their mission. They advocate for the women that they serve. They're very vocal. And what resonated with me is that they give opportunities for people, you know, to come in and to fold clothes or to, um, co- you know, sort of collect the donations in the food bank. They really provide these kind of hands-on opportunities without being exploitative and still being, I'm um, still treating their clients in a dignified way. So they're not really like showcasing them around, but they do give you opportunities to go in and talk to the clients. And you know, I grew up in a pretty wealthy suburb outside of Boston. And when I, my mom took me to Rosie's place to work in the food pantry, I mean, it really did open my eyes to how people live, but it also opened my eyes to how an organization could be run in such a way that really not only like treats its donors well, but treats its clients well. So that I, that for me was completely formative and and really changed the way I think about nonprofit management. I actually got my master's degree in um, public administration because I used to think I wanted to be a nonprofit executive director, and I still think it's one of the most incredible jobs in the world. But as we know, very thankless, very hard hours, very stressful, um, and I totally have my hat off to all of the EDs out there. It's just not for me. But Rosie's Place 100% changed the way that I I think about how nonprofits can be run. And, and what I love about that, your story, is how your engagement with that nonprofit started when they created opportunities to let you be part of, not merely give to the work. And I think right. this is becoming more and more important these days as donors are changing their preferences on how they a are introduced to new causes, you know, like mm-hmm. you in your case recommended by your mother or someone that you trusted. Um, but then also wanting to be a part of that cause or that need, not necessarily to support organizations. I feel like we've moved from let's support this organization to I want to support this cause and what platforms are out there, nonprofits, to be able to engage in that cause. And I think that's even more important now that we look at social media, because people are going on social media to advocate for causes, not nonprofits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I Mm -hmm. think there's a difference. And and social media is a great exposure of that. Um, 
but I think there's an opportunity there too. Because so I want to get your take on Absolutely. that. Like, as we've shifted from supporting an organization to supporting a cause, how must nonprofits really adapt to that, especially on social media? Well, we're dealing with five distinct generations right now that are alive. We're all together, <laughs> according to Pew Internet. So that's P-E-W, Pew Internet. That's my favorite my favorite resource for demographic information, but nonprofits tend to treat them all the same. And I really think that's a big mistake. So we cannot treat, well, we can't generalize about every single generation. Not every millennial is the same. Not every boomer is the same. Not every Gen Z person is the same, but there are some trends that we need to pay attention to. We can't continue to treat these younger people, these digital natives, like baby boomers. You're absolutely right. And I think the fact that there's so many distinct generations is what makes it so complex to fundraise in. So could you share more about each of these generations and your recommendations on how nonprofits should really approach them? Right. So I think that... I mean, I know that there are at least five generations, probably even six, because Gen Z technically was born in 2001. So obviously people have been born after that and there's a distinct generation that we don't have the name of yet, maybe digital natives. But the point is that we are treating fundraising like it's the good old days and like everyone is part of the same generation and has the same proclivities and the same habits and the same behaviors, which as we know is definitely not true. So I tend to want to avoid to gen, you know generalizing entire generations, but the research has shown, and Penelope Burke and many other fundraising researchers have demonstrated that the behaviors of, say, baby boomers or the silent generation matures, the greatest generation, whatever you want to call them, they are very loyal to specific organizations. So year after year, they get their direct mail appeal. They write a check. They have it in their budget. They've given to it for years. They probably have friends on the board or connections with the organization. And whether it be a hospital or a university, it tends to be older, more established organizations. They're less likely to take a risk on a startup or an organization that's a little bit less proven. Now, younger generations like millennials or Gen Z or even Myself, I'm, I'm Gen X, so I'm a little bit um, in between the millennials and the baby boomers. But younger people, they tend to focus on missions and causes much less than specific organizations. So if you're an organization that's been in the community for 60 years, that's not really going to sway a younger person. They want to see the demonstrated impact and they want to know that they can actually be a part of what's going on, be a part of the change. And also, younger people, they grew up with digital tools, and this is how they get their information. They just talk to Alexa or Siri or Google. They talk to their friends. They look for podcast recommendations and news articles and different cause-related information from their friends and family and trusted peers. So one example that I like to give is that on Giving Tuesday. I get two different types of questions. And I always get these types of questions from my younger friends. So say my sister's age, they're in their 20s, or even my younger friends that are in their 30s. They always ask me, 
Number one, can we really trust nonprofits? I've never gotten that question from a baby boomer in my life. I've never gotten the question, can we trust in the organizations that we give to? They kind of just assume that the organization is doing good work because it's just the way that it's always been. So younger people, trust is down in institutions, in organizations, in government. So they're looking to their friends and family as trusted resources. And they're also looking to their gut into what are the causes that really resonate with them. And then the number two question is, is my donation really genuinely going to make a difference? So if I give $25 to a gigantic university, if I give $25 to the Red Cross, is it going to make as much of an impact as if I give $25 to the food bank that's across the street or the little tiny animal shelter or the local museum, the local library? So they're really looking to friends and family. They're looking to the internet. They're looking to social media to answer these two questions. Yeah. And I think you hit on a really interesting point that it's not necessarily about just the generational differences, but also just that people are different. Like the types of people are so fragmented and our attention is so fractured that the different consumption Mm -hmm. patterns of any individual or of individuals or your donors today is Mm -hmm. so varied that you really almost have to look further beyond some of the normal assumptions and go deeper in how you personalize your fundraising efforts. And I know that's something we've been talking a lot about here at Virtuous and even going like, you know, how do you actually measure your, their involvement, interest and intent? And how do you do that at scale? And I think the great thing is, is that over the last 10 to 15 years, technology has infiltrated every aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. And this has kind of changed the expectations donors have. But technology Mm -hmm. has also enabled nonprofits to be able to leverage new tools to be able to identify these types of patterns and almost donor identities in their uh, donor pool so that they can provide a more customized experience for those donors. So they're not just relying on you know, like you said, you don't want to make assumptions of like, oh, let's put the young people in the social media campaign or let's Absolutely. you know, solicit baby boomers for planned gifts. It's not that simple anymore. Um, and I no. think you hit on that really well. Um, I think the challenge, though, is that a lot of nonprofits just aren't doing this <laughs> right. and in and any kind, kind of strategic that. way. Yeah, we kind of see that in the retention data and just the fact that like, I don't know, you know, depending on what numbers you look at, like 18 to 25% of people have just opted out of giving to charity in the last 10 to 15 years, which is incredible and terrible all at the same time. Yep. And the small dollar donors are disappearing. Gifts of $250 and less. If you looked at the fundraising effectiveness project, that's down five, 6%, you know, and it keeps dropping. I think the challenge for charities is to figure out not just how are we going to constantly acquire new donors and get on this hamster wheel of acquiring new donors. But think about all of the different donors that we already have and how can we give them the information that they want so that they're going to continue to feel inspired and motivated and also really personally acknowledged. So I don't need every email to say, hi, Julia, I know you're a mom of two and I know that you are in the Peace Corps and I know that you live in Boston. You know, I don't need that level of personalization, even though we're accustomed to that from you know, Netflix, Amazon, and a lot of the businesses that we 
we enact with, but I definitely want to, I want to know that my gift has made a difference to going towards a problem that I care deeply about and that it's being acknowledged. So I think that um, the pushback that I receive always is that, you know, boomers are not on social media, which we can't generalize because my mom has two Instagram accounts and is on Snapchat, you know, when she's in her seventies or which is awesome. Gen Z. <laughs> yeah. What'd you say? It's awesome. It's a great opportunity. Yeah, or all it's Gen just, Z. They yeah. love social media when it turns out that, you know, a lot of younger people are spending less and less time and taking mental health breaks and digital detoxes. So I think the fact remains that these tools have completely changed the way we search for information, the way we interact with each other as humans, and the way that we interact with nonprofits. But we all, like you said, we're all people at the end of the day. We're all individuals. And the way we choose to get communications or communicate with the causes that we care about can differ greatly. Absolutely. And I think like that level of are the, those challenges are what we hope to kind of talk through as we, you know, continue to interview new guests and all of that. And I think, you know, one thing that, uh, crap, I lost my train of thought. Hang on. We'll cut this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, you're exactly right. And I think that's, that's what makes fundraising so hard today. Um, and knowing like how to use, cause there's so many new tools, there's new platforms, there's new ways to communicate attentions fractured. Um, and it just makes things really mm-hmm. difficult. And so we're trying to kind of uncover some of these practical insights. And I know like you're actually coming out with a new book to really, as a guide to help fundraisers navigate at least social media in the landscape. So tell me more about that. Yes, I'm really excited about this new book because my my first book was a lot about storytelling and it was a really a step-by-step blueprint. And that's the kind of book I like to write. That's the kind of blog post that I like to write. I really don't like writing a lot about theory and a lot about what needs to change. I really enjoy writing about how to do it and how to make it practical. And I know that social media in particular is just this huge conundrum for especially small nonprofits that have limited space, limited time, limited capacity. So the book is called How to Build and Mobilize a Social Media Community for Your Nonprofit in 90 Days. And each section of the book will take you 30 days through how to create a plan and a strategy, 30 days of how to create content that resonates with your audience, and then 30 days of how to really cultivate that audience and keep the momentum. So it's very actionable and and practical. Yeah. And I think those are the types of things that we're talking about is like you talk about engagement. How do you build lasting relationships? How do you build, you know, or cultivate donors in a way that they're going to be loyal to your organization? I know I talked to Hillary Noon at Pursuant about that and the importance of donor loyalty as nonprofits look forward. Like that's something that we have the opportunity to measure and focus on because just looking at acquisition rates and retention rates and average gift and kind of this model that we've used where we boil donors down to a spreadsheet column and row is removing some of these other factors. And so I think the level of complexity that we need to measure our effectiveness with donors is going to increase, but there's tools like your book and other studies that are really helpful to do this. And so 
And I know you're writing this book and I don't want to, I want people to go out and buy the book, but sure. as you're thinking about fundraisers, you talk about 90 days really re- like kind of transforming how you engage on social media as a nonprofit. But what are kind of like, as you, you consider 2020 and you look at the landscape, what are like three things, you know, if, mm-hmm. if nothing else fundraisers should really do, especially relating to social media to thrive in 2020? Okay. Um, the first and very, and most important thing, and I stress on, I stress this anytime I speak, anytime I write is you need to be crystal clear about your donors and what they want. So we have to completely flip the script of social media from being a promotional tool, an advertising tool and a billboard to being something that's providing value to our donors. And that means we really have to know our donors inside and out. And this is why so much of social media, whether it's businesses, brands, or nonprofits, falls flat because it has no reason to exist. It has no purpose. It's just simply promotion for promotion's sake. And of course, we do need to promote our fundraising campaigns. We need to promote our events, but that cannot be the majority of the content that we're putting out. So I want people to be crystal clear about their donors And kind of a a subset of that would be preach to the choir. Now, this is not something that I think a lot of people are so focused on getting new people, new people, new people. How do we engage the world with what we're doing? How do we constantly get new, 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 new eyeballs and, and new attention? And for me, it's always about what are you doing with the attention that you already have? It's really difficult to get traction on social media from complete strangers unless you have a topic that's very polarizing and is getting talked about a lot, or if it's a natural disaster, if it's in the news. If you are a local food bank serving a town of 30,000 people, you are not going to get a million likes on your Facebook page. It's really impossible to do that. And you shouldn't be striving for that. You should be striving to reach the 30,000 people in your town and even not even the 30,000 because not every person is going to care about what you do. So for me, it's really know your audience, preach to them, give them the tools to spread the gospel to other people. That's number one. Number two is set an alarm when you're working on social media. Don't do it all day. Don't have the tabs open all day. If you're a fundraiser and you have to have coffees and run reports and call donors and do the 10,000 other things that you have to do, put some time in your calendar and say, I'm going to do, I don't know how many hours you have a day to do it or how many hours a week, but set an alarm and say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend an hour I'm going to check notifications. I'm going to respond to messages. I'm going to spend an hour creating content. Think about all of the work that needs to be done, whether you are creating graphics, whether you're setting up a fundraiser, whether it's running a report on your metrics, whether it's curating some content that you're going to use in a blog, but be very purposeful and set an alarm. If you just constantly let social media take over your day, you're going to get, go down rabbit holes. You're going to feel like you're spinning your wheels and you're going to feel very stressed. But if you put it in your calendar as a task that has sort of a start and a finish, we know it doesn't really have a start and a finish, but let's do the best we can <laughs> with the time that we're allotted and then work on it for a specific portion of each day. Of course, if there are emergencies that arise, 
that you need to address. That's completely fine. And then number three, this is something that I have been thinking a lot about lately and I don't really address in the book. I talk a little bit about how to advocate for your work and how to get respect for your work as a social media manager. But I would say number three is just to take some mental health breaks because studies have been consistently coming out that mental health stress on social media managers is a real thing. So whether that be stepping away from Facebook for 24 hours because there's a very toxic conversation going on or there's a lot of trolls or it's just becoming too overwhelming, it's very important to take some digital detoxes, take these breaks, come up for air and I guarantee, I mean, I, I know that you will be able to do your job better if you can do that. But I have a lot of resources that I'm happy to share that I'm, I usually share on Twitter, that I share on Facebook about mental health, taking care of your mental health, especially if you are a social media manager for a very polarizing cause or a cause that gets a lot of toxic attention. Yeah. And what I loved about your advice is that you didn't talk about platforms or Facebook or Instagram or the newest one like TikTok. I love how you focused on the fact that it's it's about people and about purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the takeaway that I'm getting from this is that like when you look at social media or you look at anything for that matter, the focus of your fundraising has nothing to do with just the channels, but it's how you're reaching the people that you're trying to and how are you doing that in a purposeful way. So I think that's a yep. powerful thing for all of us to take into 2020. And I think the second thing that I just want to kind of highlight from what you shared is the importance of listening. You know, we live in a culture yes. right now where listening isn't, you know, popularized really, you know, or it doesn't feel like right. anyone's listening. And this isn't just in politics, but this is just in how we do our work and in fundraising. And we know that listening is the key to success because it allows you to know the people and then be purposeful on that. And it's really foundational to responsive fundraising, which we believe is kind of the model that nonprofits should adopt. And so it's, it's interesting to hear as we talk about you know, everything from direct mail to planned giving to social media, it keeps coming back up again where listening has to be central to the strategy mm-hmm. that you take. Listening is definitely the most underutilized feature across all of these platforms. So these platforms give us the ability to have real-time two-way conversations and to get feedback on our content, on our stories, on our fundraising campaigns, on whatever we're sharing, whether it be an email, whether it be, like you said, a TikTok post or an Instagram post or Facebook they give us the ability to really see what's resonating and what's working in real time. And the, I mean, the, the opportunity for that human connection has actually never been stronger. But I think because when social media first came out, we were kind of sold that bill of goods where we're just going to put a bunch of stuff up there and donations are going to magically roll in. And we didn't understand, we still a lot of the time don't understand that it is about people. There are people that we're trying to get attention from. There are people reading the emails. There are people reading the posts, watching the videos. And at the end of the day, if you're not creating something that's going to provide value for that person or connecting with that person, it doesn't matter the platform that you choose to use because it's going to fall flat. 
Julia, where can people learn more about the book and the work and your writings mm-hmm. and upcoming speaking engagements? Where can they find more about you and your work? They can find me on my website. It's jcsocialmarketing.com. And that's where my blog is and a lot of other resources for nonprofits. And then I'm always on the Twitters. Um, I'm at Julia C. Social. Excellent. And I can definitely say I've used many of your resources in the past and you're provide so much free value to our community and kind of helping to grow the generosity ecosystem. So we're grateful for that. Hey, thanks again for the time, Julia. Thanks, Noah. It was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. <laughs>